Good morning. Yeah, I was just going to say the children, you need to, do they have a special time for you back there in Children's Church? Uh, we love to keep them in uh, for communion because we think it's important for them to come to the Lord's table together with us. Uh, if you're newer, just while they're kind of going there, uh, we are deeply committed to intergenerational church, which means not just that we should have a lot of different generations, but that they should be connected to one another. And so, um, so we bring our children in for these kinds of things. Uh, and yet uh, they find that, uh, you know, if you're five years old and have ADHD like I was, listening to the preacher in the main sanctuary is probably not the best thing. So uh, they get a much more developmentally appropriate message uh, back there. So we're glad that they're there. Just another thing to point out since we're kind of talking about it. I don't know if you, if you saw it, but if you looked at our communion servers, almost all of them were our teens. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly right. That, that, that's a good thing. We want to get them engaged, okay? They are, not, they are not the JV. They are the varsity. They are the church of today, amen? Uh, and so we just want to keep our, our, the generations engaged uh, in, in the work and, and loving on them. Well, uh, we've been in a sermon series we're calling uh, Suffering. The, everybody's doing it. We've been in it for a number uh, of weeks. And so let me, let me just get us caught up a little bit, uh, review it, and then we'll kind of talk about what we're going to talk about today. We kind of started out talking about the, the title, Everybody's Doing It, Suffering, Everybody's Doing It. Everybody Suffers. Everybody suffers, okay? And sometimes we use the word suffering to talk about physical suffering, and certainly that's a part of it. But suffering is much broader than that. In fact, some of the worst suffering is, is emotional suffering. If you lose someone you love, the, the grief can be overwhelming and debilitating, or psychological suffering, or there's just, there's just any number of ways for people to suffer. We live in a fallen, broken world, and everybody suffers. In fact, even God suffered in Jesus Christ, amen? And so the good news out of that is we suffer together. God's not picking on you. You're not, you know, somehow in his spotlight to torture. Every, everybody's suffering. And so we're called to give sideways grace to love one another. And in addition to that, because God suffered in Jesus, we have a great high priest who, is, who is, knows what we're going through, who cares for us and, and loves us. And so that was the first Sunday. And then we, we talked about the fact that suffering changes us. If you suffer, you will be changed in some way. And you can choose whether you're going to use that to, to change you to be more like Christ or, or less like Christ and we kind of talked about how the, the question people mostly ask when we talk about suffering is why well very often we can't answer the question why other than we live in a fallen world and so really the better question and the one the Bible answers is how how should we suffer, right? Uh, and so um, we, we talked about, the, the scripture talks about that when we suffer Christ's way, we kind of have safe harbor and that he uses that to bring out the gold in us and to, to, to give us, us hope in the midst of all of that and then um, to make us alive in him. And then the, the second week we kind of talked about the how was that not only does he use it to change us, but he also uses it to minister to others. And you've probably noticed this, when, when you suffer in a particular way, people who have suffered like you are really much more open talk to, talking to you about this. And I kind of shared about with my cancer and sitting around in hospital gowns waiting for radiation and all of a sudden all these guys are talking to one another because we're all going through the same thing together. And so the idea is, is that your suffering is the key that unlocks the door to reduce other people's suffering. God has given you a gift, in a sense, that you can minister to others. And, and again, the sideways grace. Uh, and that, that God makes, makes himself strong in our weakness. When we are strong, then, when we are weak, then he is strong uh, in us. And God being strong in us is always a good thing. Amen? 
Yeah, and so uh, then last week we talked about lament and crying out to God and how it's okay to mourn. And in fact, it's important for us to do that because we kind of got to get through that so that we can be open to what God wants to do uh, in, our, in our lives. And, and it doesn't do any good to, to kind of try to fool God like, you know, I'm tough. You know, right, like God doesn't know that you're not tough, okay? <laughs> I mean, it always, it always baffles me when people try to hide stuff from God. It's like, um, he's God, <laughs> you know, he, he knows. And so, so lament, and we kind of talked about uh, that together. And so today, I, as we kind of wrap up this series, I want to talk about the end of suffering. And I, I mean both your suffering and the end of the sermon series about suffering. So um, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about this. And, and um this is the one of the few things in life that I think everybody celebrates. Everybody is happy when suffering comes to an end, amen? You know, you ever, you ever like, you know, stubbed your toe and it like hurts so bad and then when it stops, it's like, oh, that is so good that it doesn't hurt no more, you know? There's just something about that when, when suffering comes to an end that's just really good. And all of a sudden, it, it's not about pleasure, just not having pain is really, really good in your life. And so um, this is what we know about suffering. I know about suffering. All suffering comes to an end. Eventually, all suffering comes to an end in, in one way, uh, shape, or uh, another. Uh, some of it comes to an end simply because we get smarter as we go along. Uh, now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to just confess this right off. I have suffered sometimes because I made stupid choices. <laughs> they all laughed. You should have said amen, okay? Because <laughs> there just is, you know, and I grew up ADHD, and I got myself into trouble all the time. I tell people all the time when you're ADHD, you know, in the decision-making process, you contemplate and then you, well, you look at it and then you kind of contemplate, you know, somewhere in there, there there's the decision to, to uh, actually take action, you know. And so if the decision to take action is number four, then thinking about the consequences is number five when you're ADHD, you know. And that just got me in a lot of trouble. And so we can alleviate a fair amount of suffering actually in, in the world by learning to make better choices. And, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of people that, that help us with this. Educators, uh, teachers are, are committed to helping our children make better choices, not just in their behaviors, but in learning to read and math and all of those, those, those sorts of things. They, you, teachers, you, you are, help alleviate suffering in the world. And if you don't believe me, just go to a country where they don't have free public education. And, and you'll see how bored that is. Um, things like support and accountability. So like social workers and people like that help with this. Um, and, and, and I have been experienced in, in my world, and maybe this hasn't been true in your world, but in my world, pain is a very effective teacher. Amen? It, it just is. And so it's just so important. So, I, I, you know, all of you who help in this field, help people make, alleviate suffering by helping people make better choices, I, I want you to stand for just a minute. This would be teachers and social workers and library people and police and, and court people that are involved. That Would you all just stand for a minute? We just want to give you a hand and thank you all for doing that. Just, yeah, thank you. You alleviate suffering in the world. You really do. Thank you. You can be seated. And then there's another, another group that, that helps alleviate suffering, and that's, that's this group of modern medicine, of science, that is pushing back the barriers of, of suffering. I am so thankful for modern medicine and science, amen? The truth of the matter is, I wouldn't even be here if it weren't for that. I was telling someone the other day, this is probably the second time that science has saved my life. When I was about 12 years old, I had acute appendicitis, and it was really bad. When they opened me up and finally took my appendix out, it was on the verge of bursting, a hundred years before, it would have burst and I would have died. 
Uh, it saved my life. And now this whole tumor thing, and it's going really well. The doctors are all happy. It's, you know, extending my life and all of those sorts of things. And so I am, I am thankful for that. And many of you have dedicated your life to alleviating suffering uh, through medicine, uh, physical and emotional. Uh, counselors do this through the modern understanding. I am so thankful for modern counselors. Because back before they had professional counselors, do you know who people came to with all their psychological issues? Their pastor. Their pastor. And, and uh, I've had a lot of education, and so, I, you know, one of the things I had to do in school was learn about some of that. But I, I tell people, in the world of psychology and emotional stuff, I'm like an EMT. I know more than the average person on the street. But if you have a tumor and you need a surgeon, you do not go to an EMT. You go to the doctor, right? You know? And it has been so nice. I've seen so many people get so much help in that. So if you're involved in, in the medical professions, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological, would you stand up for just a minute? We just want to tell you thank you as well. Some, yeah, thank you so much for relieving suffering in our world. Amen. Good. You can be seated. And then some suffering can only be ended by a more Christ-like system. There, there is systemic evil, what we theological, philosophical people call systemic evil, which means things go wrong in the world, and, and then bad things happen. No one intended for it to happen like that, but it did. And, and that's something that, that can't be changed real easily. And so um, th th this is the world of government and economics and all of those sorts of, sorts of things out there. And, and so I, I, I don't know who to have stand up with all of that. Uh, but but I, I do want to say to you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, vote and vote your conscience. Okay? I, I, now, some of you also know that I've kind of banned talk of politics in our church because I find that it divides rather than brings us together. And if you divide over something less than Christ, that's an idol, right? So, so and, and people get worked up. So just don't talk about it. Just love each other, okay? And it's really funny for me because I see relationships in our church where like one's a flaming liberal and one's a flaming conservative and they're the best of friends. I don't think they know the politics. It's like, great, good, we like that. That's the, that's the way it is, you know? Uh, but there, there's systemic evil. And so we continue as the body of Christ to vote and exercise ourselves to bring a better world to the best that it is our ability, amen? Whether it be the professions or, or whether it be through systemic evil, those sorts of things. And then some suffering is only ended by miraculous intervention. How many of you have ever been a part of a miracle in one way, shape, or another? I have. I've told you about several where, in fact, I have a buddy who they have the two sets of, it wasn't x-rays, I forget what kind of imaging it was, but the before where they could see the big tumor on his liver and, and then just as they were about to wheel him in, they decided to take one more test so they could locate it and the test doctor came out with that funny look going, um, we don't know what happened, but it's gone, you know. And all of my friends are like, we know what happened. We've been praying, you know. It's just, it's just a miracle. It's just gone, you know. Uh, and, and so some of that happens like that. And that's why we pray and we ask God to heal. Amen? He, every, he said, pray, ask. And so I, does it work out the way I want it to work out? No, it doesn't always work out the way I want it to. But he said to ask, and so I'm going to ask. In fact, he had a whole illustration about bugging him. And I'm really good at bugging people. So that's kind of my thing. I just, I, I, I just ask. He said to do that. And so as Christians, we are called to lessen the suffering every chance we get in the world. Whatever way it is, that's a part of Jesus' healing ministry. Everywhere Jesus went, he left people better. He healed them. He, he brought good news to them. He spoke truth to them in, in loving kinds of ways. He did not heal everybody, okay? 
But everywhere he went, he, he left them better. And that, that's a part of what we do. And we, we do it as a church. We do it uh, with our giving. We have Bucket Sunday, which helps the poor in our community. We actually feed the homeless as well as do other things uh, in the community with that. It, it's called, uh, it's a part of our, our calling in, in the body of Christ. And historically, the church has done that in big ways. Uh, nowadays, most uh, hospitals are kind of, you know, not-for-profits and pretty secular. But, but there was a time in history when a lot of the hospitals were started by the church because they wanted to relieve suffering. That a lot of schools, all the way from, from grammar school through colleges, were started by the church because we wanted to alleviate suffering and we knew education would do that. And so this is historically what we have been about. But here's the problem. Some suffering... Some suffering only ends in heaven. I don't know if you guys have seen this picture going around and if you can see it from back there, but it's a picture of a, of a little boy on his gravestone and there's a, there's a wheelchair and he's, he's reaching towards heaven where he will walk and run and play soccer and probably get into trouble. <laughs> I think little boys get in trouble when, in heaven because I had a lot of fun getting into trouble in it as a, as a, as a little guy, you know. The, the, the good news for us is that, that there's a whole bunch of suffering we can't fix, but we have a God who is one day going to fix it all. He's going to alleviate all of the suffering that is in. Much of it, it's beyond our control, but our God has got this. And, and suffering and pain does not get the final word. God gets the final word. And his word is life and health and resurrection and so I want, to, I want to talk now a little bit about this and about heaven. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me over to 1 Peter um, in chapter 5, verses 6 uh, through 10. Uh, and while you're, while you're doing that, uh, just a reminder, Peter was, was uh, the, the, uh, the apostle that was always getting into trouble. That's why we all like him, right, you know? And, and he became the leader of the church after Jesus uh, went back. And so this, he's, he's a good writer. He's got some really good stuff. He was a good preacher. And so this passage has some wonderful images in it that are really hard to pick up in English, but are really, really clear uh, in Greek. So I kind of want to walk through some of this and, and show it to you. Uh, and kind of explain it as we go. So beginning at, at verse 6, it says, um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now there's an interesting, so the Greek word for humble yourself is actually to go down. It means downward movement. And the word for exalt actually means to lift up. And so there's this interesting image that Peter draws of, of when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we, when we bow before the Lord, that he always picks us up. It's kind of like in the movies when the, the, the person bows before the king and the king kind of raises him up and says, stand. And so there's this, this beautiful image that, that, that when you are humble, God will, God will raise you up. And, and the word there for proper time, in Greek there's several words for proper time, uh, for time. Some of them are like chronology, but this is actually one that means the fulfillment of time. It means when all things are complete and now is the moment. It's like that thing, you know, when you see people being introduced to a giant formal ball where everybody gets ready and there's all these preparations and then the ball starts and the music is playing and you step up with your beloved and they introduce you at the, the proper time, at the proper moment. God will exalt you um, and then casting all our anxieties on him uh, he, because he cares for you. The, the word for casting is literally to pick something up and to put it someplace else, to put it in a different place. They would use it like for work. How many of you ever bailed hay? Yeah, that's, that's what this is. You pick up a heavy bale of hay and you stack it on the truck and it, it goes away and you go, yay! 
I thought that was really cool. I did this for my, my father-in-law a little bit. It's so cool when the hay went away and I thought, yes, we're done. And then he said, yeah, now we got to go to the barn and unload it and put it on the other thing, you know. And so, but, but it's this idea of casting, of, of putting your, your cares on Jesus and he, he takes them uh, away from you. And then it goes on to say, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And in the ancient world, the most dangerous creature was a lion. It, it was absolutely terrifying to them. It's not terrifying to you, because you all, you know, if you've seen a lion, you're probably in a zoo. Any of you seen a lion in the wild? You know, well, maybe one of, yeah, a couple of, whoa, that would be scary to me. But it was really scary then. They didn't have guns. And most they had maybe, you know, pitchforks that were made out of wood. Most people didn't have a lot of metal in those days. Uh, and so it, it was a frightening sort of thing. In fact, I, I got a pretty good illustration of this. I don't know if you saw it on the news, the lady that kind of went over the thing in the lion's cage, you know, and was kind of taunting the lion. I thought, that is maybe the lowest IQ I've ever seen of anybody. You know, it's just... Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't want to call people dumb, but that was dumb. You know, <laughs> and, and so um, th this idea of the, the devil as a roaring lion, th this should terrify you. It, it would have in Peter's time. The idea that because a, a lion would hunt at night, and you were out at night, and they, it'd spring on you, and it was all over by the time by the time they they had you. Okay, uh, resist him, uh, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. Everybody suffers. That's what he's saying. Everybody suffers uh, in the midst of all of this. And then the next verse, verse 10, um, is so good. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, aren't you glad our God is the God of all grace? Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Okay, you get the thing there? He likes, Peter likes to do these opposites. You, you suffer for a tiny bit of time and then you get eternal glory. Pain for a moment so that you can have pleasure and have heaven for the, for the rest of your life. And, and the best example I, I can think of that, about this, and maybe it's just because I'm at the grandparenting stage with no grandkids, um, is the, uh, sorry, did I let that out? Uh, is childbirth. I have to tell you, after watching my, my wife give birth to our first child, I am amazed that there's ever a second child. Because <laughs> it's like, no way. Guys would be like, nope, that's it. We're never, you know. Women are way tougher than guys. I just hate to break it to you guys, you know. But there's something that happens because the baby is such a wonderful experience. And then you take them home and it gets complicated. But, but in the hospital, it's really, it's, you know. And it kind of wipes it all out, and they, they have other, we have two kids. I mean, it's crazy, you know? And, and that's what he's saying, Peter's saying here, that, that the suffering of this life is hard, and it's difficult, and it's painful, but it's not eternal, that heaven is eternal, and it'll be worth every single bit of it when you get there. And that's just such a wonderful, wonderful insight, I think, from Paul, okay? His eternal glory uh, in, Christ Jesus, in Christ will himself restore. You get this? Your restoration into what God intended you, this is talking about heaven now, about becoming what he intended us to be. He is not going to delegate that to an angel or even an archangel. Christ is going to personally restore you. 
I love the song we sing about Christ knows, God knows our name. He knows your name. He knows all about you. He is going to restore you. And the word for restore is, is a word in Greek that means to complete, to, to bring to fulfillment. It's sometimes used for the word perfect, right? And so it's, it's the idea of he's going to make you into what you were intended to be in the very beginning. He is going to restore you to everything. So one day there's going to be a heaven and a new earth, and it is going to be the way God intended it. You restore, confirm, strengthen, um, establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, man, it will be worth it. In fact, look at what Romans says uh, over here. There we go. I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And this is Paul who got stoned and thrown in prison and was shipwrecked and got beat. And he said, it's, it's, all, it's all worth it. So, so this is what I want you to know. This, this is the really good news. Heaven is going to be better than your wildest imaginations. Better than anything you can imagine. It's going to be better than that. In fact, Revelation 21 says this. God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there will be no more death or suffering or crying or pain. Let's read those together, those four. No more death or suffering, or crying, or, or pain. Yeah. I um, told you last week about being surprised on Facebook with a picture of my sister's gravestone with the three children she lost, and I had a little cry session there in my office at four o'clock in the morning. Um, and and the, the only thing that was good out of that was I, I kind of turned the corner on it was I began to think about what it was like for Valerie when she got to heaven. And there were those three little ones to meet her come and, and be there with her, you know. And I, I'm reminded that, 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 that for me one day, my whole family's going to be waiting there. My, my sister is in heaven. My dad is in heaven. My, my mom is in heaven. And I, I'm sure they are having the time of their life and my, my parents are enjoying their grandkids that are there. I just hope they're not talking about me too much, you know. <laughs> Who knows what they're saying, you know, Craig, when he was like, you know, so. I, I don't know. I just know that I've got people that are waiting for me. And I've got grandparents that I'm waiting for. I've got a grandpa that was just like me. The family likes to say, you're just like your grandpa on my mom's side. You'd think that's a compliment, but it's not. <laughs> you know, just, grandpa was a little rough. So let me ask you this morning, who do you have waiting for you? This is my dad and my mom and, and my sister. And the ugly one in the corner is me, you know. Really, that hairstyle was in style back then. Really, trust me, it, it was. You know. who, who do you have? Just, just call it out. How many of you have a, have a parent in heaven somewhere? Yeah. How many of you, you have some other relatives, you know, aunts and uncles and so, some people like that? How many would say you have some children that are in heaven? Yeah, and you'll see them again. You'll see them, you'll see them again. That you have, who, who do you have? Who do you have that this going? Because see, I, we, don't, we don't know what it's going to be like, but we know that it's better than we can imagine, and I can imagine pretty good, so I know I'm shooting low. I, I imagine that when we get to heaven, that when we die, that, that there is Christ, and when we get to the pretty gates, I think they've already put out a call, and they're going to say, hey, Craig Laughlin's coming, and, and there will be dad, and mom, and Val, and the little ones, and my friends, and, and everyone, and I, it's going to just be a holy party, man. Okay, let me try that again. It's just going to be a holy party, man. Yes, that is going to be the greatest moment of your life to that, to that point. And, and can I just add another point here? Um, some of you struggle because you've lost people that you don't think are going to be in heaven. And, and I really believe that they're, they're too, too they're not everybody's going to be in, in heaven. But I just, I want to give you this. 
God loves them more than you do, and he is less willing to be separated from them than you are. I, you know, God, only God can judge a heart. The other one I want to say really quickly is suicide. There was some, some theology that came out of the ancient church that, that was a little simplistic and that thought, you killed somebody and killing yourself, therefore that's a sin, therefore you don't go to heaven. In my experience, suicide is not rational. That, that, that everyone I've ever been in, they were out of their mind in some sort of way. And, and I, I say, give you this in the context of Jody's brother committed suicide. He had serious psychological kinds of problems and wasn't rational. And the way we typically define sin in these categories is sin is a willful transgression of the known law of God. And I'm not sure somebody who's not rational can make a willful transgression. Okay, so, so I, 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 some of you who've struggled with it, I just want you to know that, that barring some other sort of circumstances, suicide will not separate them from Christ. Amen? That, that God cares and, and loves, uh, and, and if you can't make a rational choice, you can't commit a sin. That's kind of the nature of it, okay? So then another thing I know is that everything good in this life goes to the next, because everything good comes from God, Amen? All good things. So here's what I know for sure. We are going to have motorcycles in heaven, and I'm going to ride one. <laughs> They're going to have mountain roads so I can go around all the things, you know. And I'm not even going to wear a helmet. <laughs> I'm going to live on the wild side in heaven, you know. This is what it is. They're going to have fishing in heaven, and it's all going to be King Salmon in the glassy sea before the throne, if you look at Revelation in there, you know. And, and, and I believe with all of my heart they are going to have roller coasters in heaven, really big ones. I also know that they're not going to have Ferris wheels. Those are going to be in the other place, okay, because those are scary, man. For someone who has a fear of heights, it's just like, nope, we don't want to do that. So what hobbies are you going to do? Just, just call one out. What do, what do you want to do in heaven? What? Fish? I heard that. Climb? Fly. Oh, yes, flying. That would be good. Absolutely. Now everybody wants to do that. <laughs> what else? What do you want to do in heaven? Ride horses. Ride horses. Excellent. Yes. Dance. dance. I, I want to dance, and I want to dance in a way that doesn't embarrass y'all. The Lord will have to heal me. You know? <laughs> what else? What is it? Food with no calories. Yes. Yes, ab absolutely. I, I'm, I'm persuaded uh, of that. Um, what was it? Something with no guilt. Yes, yes, yeah. Let's not go down that path very long. I'll lose everybody. You'll all be thinking about lunch rather than, you know. And then uh, another really cool thing about heaven uh, is this. Uh, we get a new body. Hey, I can have dreams too. <laughs> Mine will be taller and skinnier. Yes, that's my face on there. Isn't it wonderful what you can do with, uh, <laughs> with modern, uh, modern uh, technology? Oh. Yeah. You know, we laugh about that, and, and um, I hope mine is taller and skinnier. Um, but um, when I was in seminary, I... Another seminarian by the name of Mimi was a part of my class. And Mimi was an African-American woman in a city that had lots of racial tensions, so she had plenty of tests, but she had also had a very broken body. She was about that tall because she was all bent over, and um, she had an iron will in seminary. 
Um, and, and you know how most of us, when we walk, most things are going north and south. When, when Mimi walked, about half of it was going east and west, and she would rock, and she would... And our seminary had three floors and no elevator. They have since added an elevator. And I, uh, I remember many a time walking to class upstairs, and I'd have to go slow while she would talk, and we just shared a lot, and I got to know her. And wonderful, vibrant. If I ever saw a place where suffering brought out the gold, it was in Mimi, because she just such a spirit. I just loved hanging out with her. But uh, one day we were talking about this in class in heaven, and, and we were talking about the new body and, and um, a little bit, and she kind of raised her hand, and she said, you know what I know about the new body in heaven? She said, I believe with all of my heart that when we get to heaven, the people who are crippled will be the athletes in heaven. I had a whole new perspective on the new body. I sit next to her, she hit me and said, I challenge you to a race when we get to heaven. <laughs> so I know I'm going to lose at least one race in heaven, okay? That's just, that's just you know. So, I, 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 you know, what, what would you do with this? So, so let me ask you uh, this. Who, who do you want to meet when you get to heaven besides Jesus? You, you want to, maybe Moses, you know? Yeah, that'd be a cool one. Who, who else? Abraham. Yeah, that'd be cool. Gabriel, Jonah, well, John, Solomon, Paul. Yeah, I got a lot of questions for him. There's a bunch of Pauls like, I don't understand. Tell me this, you know, kind of. Yeah, can you imagine what it is? You're going to have eternity to get caught up with all of these people. I want to go fishing with Peter and see if he'll teach me to walk on water. Because I tried it when I was 12, and it didn't go so good at the local YMCA. So, so. Everybody, every, every, but here, here's the catch with heaven. Here's the problem. We aren't there yet. And until we are there, we, we live in a world of suffering and, and pain in our lives. And so Christ has called us to, to relieve suffering to everyone we can. That, that's the mission of the church. We, we relieve suffering, whether it be spiritual, come to know Christ, whether it be physical or emotional, however we can, we carry on his mission. Do what Jesus did. Live the way he lived, and until then, I trust God. I, I trust God. I can't fix it all. I wish I could fix everybody's suffering, but I can't. But I know that one day God is going to do this, and I know until then God gets the final word. His word is life and resurrection, and so I live in hope of, uh, of that day that one day I too will be there, and there will be no sarcoma tumors in heaven. Okay, let me try again. There will be no sarcoma tumors in heaven. And there will be none of what it is that is with you. But in this life, a lot of times, there's a great deal of pain. If our musicians could come. In the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He wrote a song called, It Is Well With My Soul. Most of you know this one. He always stands out for me, not because he was a great songwriter, but because he wrote that song out of profound suffering. Most of you know he was a lawyer in Chicago. He was an elder in his church and a great friend of Dwight L. Moody. And, and in 1871, he made a huge investment in Chicago, real estate investment on the shore, kind of north of Chicago. And, and in that, that year, a couple of things happened. You are familiar with the story. One of them was that the great friar of Chicago happened and he lost everything. But a lot of people don't know that his small son also died that year. 
And it was difficult for him in that, that place. And after the fires, there was some time passed and then they decided they needed some rest. And so their plan was to go to England and to uh, be there and supportive of Dwight L. Moody. And, and some complications came up business-wise. And so he decided to send his wife and, and four daughters on, on ahead of him. And many of you know this story. I don't know how this happens, but in the middle of the ocean, the two ships collided. The, the, the one that his family was on and the other one. They say it sank in less than 12 minutes. Mom was rescued, and when she got to England, she sent that telegraph that is now famous, saved alone. And so in the course of a very short period of time, Dwight L. Moody lost everything. He lost his small son, and he lost four daughters. And it immediately got on a ship and began to head to be with his wife to comfort her. And the story says that, that he asked the captain to tell them when they were over the location of where, where the wreck had happened. And when he was over the location of that, um, he began to pin these words. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way. It's pretty easy to say as well with my soul then. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And then this one, the final verse. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll and the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. How's your soul this morning? Not the circumstances of your life. That, that's exactly what I mean when I say I trust God. Whether he heals me or whether my life is to be significantly shortened, I trust God and I am here to tell you it is well with my soul. Would you stand? We're going to take the offering while we, we sing together. But I've asked the band if they would close us out with, with this great hymn of the church. And I want you to know... Whatever your suffering is, God offers you the opportunity to have it well with your soul. Not because your circumstances are good, but because you have Christ. Amen. Amen. And one day he's going to bring all suffering to the end. Let me pray for you quickly. Father God, Lord, I pray that this would be our prayer for those that need to ask for it and our testimony for those that you have done it in, Father, that you would make it well with our souls when we face the suffering that we cannot fix, Father, when we face loss that is overwhelming and unbelievable, for Lord, that it is well with our souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.